welcome to the CND and Christian Co. podcast with this year's market review. My name is Nana, the clinical and custom content editor here at CND. Today, I'm very lucky to be joined by three amazing people from Christian Co. to discuss the market review. So, without any further ado, I'll get you guys to introduce yourselves. Hello, everyone. My name is Tony Evans. I'm a director of Christian Co. and head up our pharmacy team across the UK. Hi everyone, uh, Carol Cleasy, Director at Christine Co. Uh, I look after the pharmacy agency for Scotland, Northern Ireland and the northeast of England. Hi, I'm Sean Watts, Director at Christie Finance. I head up the unsecured loan and asset finance lending, particularly into the pharmacy space. Thank you guys for joining us this um, again. Um, so this is kind of becoming a yearly thing now. So last year we talked about the market review. And we looked at the sector in all the changes that has been going on. Um, this year, again, the Christie Market Review is out. So the link will be in the bio. So if anyone wants to have a look, feel free to go have a look. There are a few things I'd like us to discuss about the new market review. Um, the first one is the noticeable shift in the market. So last year, we talked about all the divestments that Lois were doing. And in this year, it seems as if even though there were a lot of pharmacies being closed, there are a lot of pharmacies being opened from that. Do you think that is going to create a shift in the market between the independent and the corporate? What we've seen over the last uh, 12, 18 months is you've seen some significant corporate divestments. Obviously, we refer to the Lloyd's Pharmacy divestments that you've seen over the last 12, 18 months, and they, they continue as we speak now. Obviously, other pharmacy groups, uh, other corporate operators also look to divest of uh, underperforming or marginal sites from their own point of view. And that has also inevitably led to some closures. So in, in undertaking those programs, those disposal or closure programs, you've seen quite a lot of the uh, independent operators, either small multiples or independent operators, single contractors, look to acquire those pharmacies where they feel that they can offer a product offering which is more localised and they can meet patient needs on more of a local level. So, yeah, inevitably what you've seen is a a reduction in the number of corporate pharmacies over the course of that financial year. And that has continued even further since then. Obviously, post the end of March, we've seen the closure of the Lloyd's pharmacies within the Sainsbury's uh, supermarkets. So inevitably, you're going to see larger closure numbers this year than were last year. But generally, there seems to be good demand from the independent space to take those on, basically. So is the market looking as if we're going to end up in a situation where we have more independence in the years to come then? Or are the independents going to become corporates now? No, I think I think what you're actually seeing is the balance is actually changing towards the independent sector already. The numbers, you know, first time from our estimation, they've dropped to about 34% of uh, pharmacies now in, in ownership in groups of 300 and over, uh, which firmly weights the, the ownership in favour of the independent sector now. That independent sector is made up of independent contractors through to groups of 150, 160 pharmacists. So yeah, a very, very positive situation for the independent sector, I think. In Scotland this year, most people will be aware of that there's been a, a big shift in the market with Lloyd's putting nearly 200 pharmacies up for sale in March this year. That's over 15% of the market in Scotland that, that was on the market for sale. A quarter of those were sold to other corporate operators, but um, probably around 150 sites were sold to uh, small groups, independents, and even first-time buyers. Yeah, we've never seen anything like that in Scotland before with, with so much on the market, but I've heard that most of, 
have now been sold or are about to be sold. And just to echo what Tony and Carl have both said, it's it's kind of the entrepreneurial, ambitious first-time buyers and smaller groups have, have seen this as an opportunity. And obviously finance has been available to those applicants, especially the guys with the, the existing sites to enable them to grow. That's That sounds amazing, really. And also seeing that um, from the market review, even though the independents and people are buying more pharmacies, it looks like there is more closures that there are being buyers. Do you think this is still going to lose to what we used to be worried about, about the community pharmacies shrinking and the plan for community pharmacy to reduce? Or you think this is actually going to reverse that pattern and we're going to end up actually getting more community pharmacies? No, I, I certainly don't think we're going to see a reverse of that. I think if you look, uh, there's, there's two sides to a market now. I suppose if you look from an operational point of view, uh, the pharmacy sector is you know, as widely reported in trade press and national media in crisis at the moment because of its funding situation. And that doesn't help pharmacy expand its offering. That that will help it contract its offering. And inevitably, you're seeing the likes of Lloyd's and other corporates, you know, reducing their their estate sizes in the marketplace. That gap isn't going to be filled by independents. What the independents are doing is they are, you know, looking at opportunities which work for them and they'll acquire those sites which they consider viable and, um, and best fit the market. So I think inevitably, when we look at this review, hopefully when we're doing this podcast in a year's time, we'll be, we'll be talking about a, a slightly different size of market because I think the, the closures will outweigh the number of new pharmacies that actually open next year. So I think we're both like saying the independents have basically shown a real tenacity in taking over those markets and basically changing the pharmacies to work better because the report actually did show that the independents seem to get a lot more prescription numbers coming in through their pharmacies. And I think that is a sign of the fact that they are actually putting in a lot more effort and taking over these pharmacies. Could that also be due to the fact that with the closures that the corporates and the multiples are making, it's drawing patients from those pharmacies into their neighboring independent pharmacies? And that could be the reason for that increase in numbers for the independents. No, I mean, I, th- I think that certainly contributes to the, the position is that where, where you see closures in an area, inevitably, uh, somebody has got to, to fill that, that void, fill that gap. And if you've got independent contractors offering pharmacy service in the area, inevitably, a lot of that will fall to them. Now, you know, that, that can be seen as a plus and a minus, basically. Uh, it puts more pressure on what is also already a, a fragile uh, position for, for pharmacy contractors but it does give them the opportunity to dispense more. But I think as we go on in the, the discussions today, we'll probably talk around you know, the viability of pharmacy, etc. And I think it will come back to that as well in terms of looking at the, the volume of dispensing a site's doing isn't always the holy grail, basically. So I think we've got to look differently at that as we go forward. And I think on that point, the, the kind of the importance of the robust forward planning from these individuals who are growing within their kind of community or growing locally around their current sites, it is a real opportunity for them, but they've got to have that robust planning in place to make sure they can continue to support that growth as they take on the additional opportunities. That was kind of leading into my next question, really saying that for the independents having to do this, is it really an advantage or a burden um, having this come in with all the pressures and everything that they have already? Do you think it could also be a contribute factor, the fact that, the independents are now performing so much better in this sector. 
could this trigger more um, closures from the multiples as their market is being taken away from the independents? I think what would trigger more closures is more pressure on the, the, the sector as a whole. No, no, I think yeah, everybody, whether you're a corporate or a large independent or a small independent, they all have to have an eye on the, the viability of their businesses. And you know, certainly at the moment, what we're seeing is, is real pressure within the, the pharmacy sector. Talking to clients, they some of them are almost underwater in, in where they are financially in, in running their, their businesses. And therefore, I think you know, from that point of view, inevitably, you know, there will be, I think, further closures. But I don't think it's down necessarily to the fact that the independents are are taking more and more volume. I think it's just a, the, the general state of the funding to the sector. Moving on to the funding, the report showed that in the last six months, there had been an average of 161 price concessions per month. Do you think this is a case of basically the sector trying to catch up itself with the mismanagement of the contract and basically putting in the price concessions to try and help um, pharmacy contractors stay afloat? If it is, is that a suitable module or is there a point of looking at the whole module and the whole contract being looked at? Yeah, I, th- I think where the price concessions come in is where you know, pharmacists are seeing that they are uh, dispensing at loss. And a lot of that comes down to supply and demand and, and, and drug tariff pricing. So, so I think where these concession prices have increased, it's where you know, the pharmacists are having to, to almost dispense at a loss because of those supply prices. And I think that becomes the issue, going back to what we we're talking about, Nana, about the, the number of uh, items a pharmacy does. The, the more items they do doesn't necessarily mean the more profit they make at the moment. If they're struggling to, to actually dispense profitably, what we're seeing across the first six months of this year is that the gross margin on dispensing activity within a pharmacy business is reduced significantly by as much as 5 to 7% in the gross margin. Whereas if a pharmacy is is delivering services and has developed its service offering, that element of uh, income falls to the bottom line at a much higher percentage, so probably 95% gross margin, and therefore is, is a more viable alternative than dispensing. So sometimes they can take on more dispensing, but it can create issues to them. And what, what we're seeing across the market is the fact that those pharmacies that are actually developing their services offering, they are at best offsetting the decline in gross margin they're seeing in in their dispensing element of their business. So I don't think it's so much a case of trying to to look at how they're playing at the edges of the contract. I think it's just a case of what they're trying to do is get recompense for the dispensing they're doing at an effective rate and a viable rate. Yeah, up in Scotland, certainly the accounts we've looked at this year for pharmacies, most operators have seen an increase in turnover. However, we've seen a, a reduction in profit and that's been driven from lower gross profit margins because since summer of last year, 2022, yeah, the amount of obviously drugs that are costing more has decreased gross profit margins on average by three or four points, which has obviously affected the bottom line of pharmacies. So we are seeing lower profit levels because of these higher drug prices. Well, it seems like the answer is basically what the contract is basically trying to get pharmacists to do for a long time is to move to a service-based provision. But for companies to do that, they need pharmacies. And with the recent ARS funding and with all of that, there has been a real exodus of pharmacists from community into PCN positions and other community positions, which is leaving the actual community pharmacies short 
on pharmacists. What do you think is going to help independent pharmacists or community pharmacists going forward when it comes to dealing with these kind of situations, with the lack of staff, basically? It has to be one of the most significant pressures the pharmacists are seeing at the moment. The fact that locum rates accelerated significantly this time last year. We saw it throughout uh, 2022, but certainly from this point onwards, uh, they accelerated. Again, if you look at that against the flat funding deal that pharmacists have, that is additional costs that the business have had to take on. And as we say in in the, the operational review that we've done, what's quite noticeable is that we've seen a reduction in the percentage of locum costs within the overall staff cost in the analysis we undertook and that in part is down to operators saying look we we have to be really careful really mindful as to when we we take on additional locum cover and certainly some independent contractors are saying that they're, they're actually well they've actually reviewed their position on that and they'll do more hours themselves to offset that increased cost so i think it is an issue uh i think we're already hearing that uh, operators and locum agencies are, are seeing more negotiation around the rates, which hopefully we're starting to see some settlement of that. That's certainly the anecdotal evidence we're hearing that rates are starting to soften. And I think they do need to, certainly as it stands at the moment, because these pharmacies, they only have a certain element of income that they've they've got to, to offset against uh, you know, the, the, the cost of employment, basically. Yeah, we, we're going to see it again this year with the, the increase in national living wage uh, the suggestions that's going to £11 or above, basically, is going to be another significant burden that the pharmacy, as with all other sectors, is going to have to take on. But again, when, when you look at it against this flat funding deal, something has to give. So the only way that's ever going to improve is if the sector is better recompensed than it is at the moment. We come back to the, the kind of the forward planning, the forward financial planning for the business. It's how they can use technology to to make their day-to-day operation more efficient relieving the pressure on the staff but also relieving the reliance on having those additional staff members in which can help claw back at some of that lost margin so for example we're all going to the pharmacy show and i think at the show you do always see some new innovative ways that people are running pharmacies um uh, i think when it comes to the issue of the staffing though there is an issue when it comes to retention of the current staff that um, are in pharmacy and schemes like the ARS makes it a lot easier for pharmacists to bleed staff rather than retain staff because it's pretty hard for these independents and these corporates to retain a pharmacist when they have the option to go into a PCN or a GP pharmacy and do further training and use further clinical skills as they say it. Have you seen any pharmacies trying to kind of do away with that or offer benefits to their pharmacy staff to offset that migration? We've seen a few groups. It's quite interesting that they've, it's almost been a case if you can't beat them, join them. And and what they've actually done is they've recruited pharmacists within their group to deal with the service provision, deal with that service element of the business. So almost they have somebody who's, in an office, almost office-based, rather than front of house in a dispensary, uh, undertaking the service reviews that are needed across the business. So I suppose it's an additional resource, an additional cost to them. But if they can offset that against uh, additional services across their groups, it's something they can do. So I think 
the group operators have the ability to do that more than an independent operator would be able to do. But yeah, it just feels that additional roles reimbursement scheme, it is still very uneven in its balance base. It's still very much weighted to GP surgeries and, and PTNs rather than it is to pharmacy. And that's why you've seen some some calls for uh, the government or the department to, to actually provide a similar kind of uh, system or uh, strategy to, to support getting people back into pharmacy. And again, that, that will actually help that overall employment position. From my own experience, the operators I've spoke to, they're paying their pharmacists a lot more just to retain them. We're talking maybe at least £15,000 more per annum to stop them going into a, a PCN. I think that's something that is going to have to happen, really. Um, for once this year in the report, the whole battle between online and community pharmacy didn't seem to really show up this year. It seems either community pharmacies are getting more comfortable or getting more on board with the online offering because online pharmacies seem to have received a massive investment this year, which would have usually caused a huge panic among the brick and mortar pharmacies. But it seems either a lot of brick and mortar pharmacies are joining and offering online alternatives or the online pharmacies are just not worrying them as much. I think we've said it in years gone by, Nana, is that the fact that bricks and mortar pharmacies can offer everything an online pharmacy can offer and more. Some of that is a realisation that, that is the case and yeah, Sean will talk about automation, et cetera, and the, the different uh, kind of software packages that some of the, the, the pharmacies are now, you know, introducing into their business to, to actually undertake some of that delivery service and get patients more sticky to them. From the online platform side of things, I mean, obviously, the most recent news was last week, wasn't it, with uh, Lloyd's Direct uh, merging with pharmacy to you. So, so that platform going forward, well, I was looking at the July figures earlier, and between them, they did uh, 2.6 million items in, in July alone. But when you look at that across the o- overall sector, that still only accounts for 2.8% of the number of items that was dispensed in, in July. So you know, just short of 95 million items were di- dispensed uh, over the course of July. So the concern is that they still take activity away from bricks and mortar pharmacies. But that rate isn't accelerating significantly from what we've seen in previous years. It's still been between 25 and 3%. Sean, what kind of automations have you seen that the bricks and mortar pharmacists are doing in order to compete with the online pharmacies? It, again, it's different for each site. It's all what is going to drive their efficiency, because obviously the more efficient they are, the better their margins are going to be. So whether it's automating their dispensing process, whether it's installing the 24-7 dispensing units so the prescriptions can be collected at any time so they're not then limited to open hours for the pharmacy or even having to extend those opening hours. Um, and it's that, and as well as using software to, to manage stock rotation you know, and to manage the offering of additional services as well. So online pharmacies, they definitely have a place, as, as Tony said, but it's when, when they get a patient through the door who's, who's looking to collect a prescription what other services may they need that they can offer? And typically it'll be those services that drive the higher margin. And if, if you're not getting the people through the door, then it's going to be very difficult to obviously, you know, to, to see to those needs. And that's something we're seeing kind of across the market. The other point to remember is that one of the challenging elements of uh, pharmacy uh, activity at the moment is delivery, uh, because the cost of delivery quite often outweighs 
the service that you actually provide. So you, know, you look at these online pharmacies, these large platforms, they are still challenged the same way any other pharmacy, any bricks and mortar pharmacy is. Yes, they have much more uh, uh, ability to invest in automation and you know, the, the way these platforms run is, is with significant automation. But you know, it still comes down to cost of delivery and that's something which is a challenge for the whole sector. So I think as long as bricks and mortar pharmacies continue to offer good patient access and availability to services, they should still consider, uh, you know, be uh, considered as a real uh, alternative and viable alternative to uh, online dispensing, basically. Yeah. I love what you mentioned with the 24-hour dispensary, um, Sean. Um, so is, does that automation allow patients to basically pick up their medication whenever they want from a pharmacy? So is there a pharmacist in there the whole time? No, different types of machinery is a fully automated process. So they will typically receive an email or a notification through with a QR code linked into their prescription, which they will they'll scan at the, the kind of the dispensary machine, which is fully secure. Um, and then they'll so verify like the Amazon boxes. It, it, exactly the same, a bit more security involved where they'll verify with their date of birth or, or something additional. And then it, the, the parcel kind of pops out the bottom, they collect it and they can do it outside of hours on the way home, which, you know, has, has kind of opened up a new opportunity to people to be able to, to collect their prescriptions, which we've seen quite significant growth in, particularly over the last 12 months. Yeah, I think that's quite an exciting prospect, really. Um, I think we'd also be very, um, would everyone have a go at us if we don't mention the recent financial landscape that has affected all businesses um, with what interest rates are doing, um, be it our all-time high. Have we noticed through the review, has this change, which obviously would have affected us, has it caused a significant effect to when it comes to loans for independent pharmacies? It comes back again to, to what we mentioned earlier about the kind of the robust forward planning. You know, if a client's going into an acquisition or a project, you know, it's looking ahead for the next three years. What do they potentially look like? What other investments might be required? Um, what terms should the finance be over? You know, what would they look to, to refinance with, with an alternative or to one of the larger banks in the future? So I think the access to finance has remained there. It's just a much more detailed process now with the applications, you know, with the increases in utility costs, you know, all these factors have to be factored into the financial modelling. And then it's a case of assessing whether that is robust enough and, and secure enough to, to press on with. I think it's key that the clients take on a responsibility to, to do some of that work themselves or, or with their finance partners to enable them to secure the right deal. Um, and what that deal looks like will obviously depend on the project. It's been skewed slightly with a lot of the, the corporate disposals have been coming in at sort of reduced prices, reduced purchase prices. So there's been kind of less funding required to acquire these sites, which may have been at a higher value, you know, 12, 18 months ago. And that's something the banks have recognized that, you know, in 12 months time, that site may be worth more than, than the client's paying for it today, which would obviously make the, the facilities more secure. And, and this helps us to continue lending. Um, we've actually seen a huge uplift in applications. A lot of that, again, has been driven by the corporate disposal projects. But the clients that plan properly and, and look at the various eventualities and even potentially look at a, a best case scenario and a worst case scenario cash flow forecast, you know, and if the business fundamentally works at the worst case scenario, then you, you would hope they are going to secure and be successful in, in moving forward with their projects. 
So with new buyers coming into the market and looking at what the interest rates and everything is doing, would you still say it will be a good time for new new buyers to basically look at buying either from one of these um, divestments from the multiples or basically just going into the pharmacy business as a new person initially? Would this be a good time? I suppose, again, every opportunity would be different. But if, if they see a site that presents an opportunity to increase the dispensing, increase the services, whether there's a site that comes to the market that's three doors down from their current site. So by taking on that, they, they kind of prevent a competitor from, from kind of coming in and, and competing with them for, for those clients. It's about assessing the opportunity and, and where they think they can take that site, what improvements they can make. And that's probably the key question. If they can, if they can make the site better, improve the margins, improve the profitability, then definitely now is the right time to be doing that. But again, it comes down to that planning and assessing whether that site fits with their current business model or the model they're looking to get into if they're first-time buyers and how they can make a success of that site based on their previous experience. So definitely a good time to be buying. And we're seeing a huge amount of pharmacies changing hands, particularly on the, the disposal side of things. But it's clients making sure they go in with their eyes, their eyes open as to what challenges there's going to be and, and working out what they can achieve. Yeah, I know I have a couple of friends that have just started buying and they bought with one. And within a year, they basically bought two and three now. Um, there seems to be a buying frenzy going on when it comes to um, independence. Tony, what would you say is, is some of the biggest challenges that um, you guys face when it comes to completing a sale on a pharmacy? A lot of the challenges at the moment lay around the regulatory process. If we're seeing more disposals by corporate and group operators, which we certainly have seen this year, and obviously the other processes, the lodge process, etc. A lot of those have been done by way of asset sales, which will require a full change of ownership application. And where you've got first-time buyers acquiring as well, they will be required to undertake fitness to practice applications as well. Now, the volume of sales that is going through the market at the moment is is probably the strongest that we've known it since we've been doing pharmacy. So there's, there's a really high volume of pharmacies going, uh, going through at the moment. And that is being set against a, a regulatory resource, which is uh, under-resourced. Uh, so as a result, we're seeing significant delays in the change of ownership process. So change of ownership process fundamentally or principally uh, affects asset sales, not share sales. So where you're seeing the sales of companies, uh, that is a slightly different process and allows the, the, the sales to go through that much quicker. But the, the main issue at the moment is certainly down to the regulation and, and of uh, change of ownership applications and fitness to practice. Uh, and to the extent that, unfortunately, if you're a first-time buyer in some of these corporate processes, if you are required to get fitness to practice, that can put you at a disadvantage, which it shouldn't do because these processes should be straightforward and, and uh, everybody should have the same opportunity, basically. What I'm finding is the length of time it's taken for finance approval. It just varies so much. I have deals happening just now where the, the buyers found out within two weeks they've got finance, whereas I've got deals on at the moment where buyers have still not heard after eight weeks. So that can be very frustrating. It really depends on the bank and the buyer, whether it's their first time or if it's an existing operator. But... Yeah, I have noticed this year that the timelines have have extended with banks coming back with an answer, whether it be a yes or a no, on the finance. 
Yeah. So, so again, just to pick up on Carl's point, again, it's the time of the approvals. There's a lot more to consider. You know, there's a, obviously a large number of disposals, which has maybe immediately raised concern for some of the some of the lenders. Um, but it's again, it's about the clients going into the project with their eyes open. You know, with de- detailed financial modelling. You know, looking forward as to what they're going to achieve with their pharmacy, whether they're existing operators or not. And I think it, it's it's key working with a finance partner or a bank who will look to seek all that information up front. And they'll look to build a proposal around the work that's been done rather than you know, a deal going through to a, a, a kind of someone in credit or one of the underwriters. And they're then coming back to ask for this additional questions or try and plug gaps in cash flows, which is where some of the challenges will come. So again, to give the application the best chance is to provide almost as much information as possible with that initial proposal. So hopefully things will be viewed a little bit more positively. And again, you would like to think that would potentially speed up the process. And the second part of it from the finance angle, angle is obviously the increase in interest rates. Obviously, over recent, probably the last sort of 12 months, it's been a continual theme of rates increasing each month. Um, I think recently we've had some more, more positive news that they weren't, weren't raised at the last, um, the last Bank of England meeting. Um, but again, it's about factoring those interest rate rises into the, that financial modelling and showing that the business is affordable where the rates are today. And if those rates did continue to creep up further, again, the business can can support that and tolerate those changes. And, and as and when the interest rates do start to go the other way, that is going to help with driving driving those margins throughout the operation. So that's what for new buyers and for people coming in. Um, for current owners and for contractors at the moment, um, just to round it up, what are the kind of changes do you think that is required within their businesses in order for them to make a success of it moving forward or look into the future? I think if you look at a lot of uh, pharmacies out there at the moment, the, the, the key shift they're having to make, and they need to do it because they need to follow the funding, but the key shift is to services. And those pharmacies that have embraced the service offering and are deliver, delivering more and more services, they are protecting their business margins better than anybody is at the moment. So I think there are various ways of doing that. And we've seen a, a number of multiple operators who, again, have invested in automation and that automation isn't there to save uh, staff costs. It's to redeploy staff so that they can deliver more services. So, you know, a lot of the re- repeat dispensing may be done through a, a hub within that that corporate structure. But what it enables uh, staff to do in the pharmacies is to turn their attention to more service provision and more service offering. And I think that's that's going to be key going forward. Obviously, the, the, the five-year deal comes to an end next year, but certainly over the five years, the weighting of the funding has gone towards services rather than to dispensing. So inevitably, that's going to continue, I would suggest. So it, yeah, that's got to be one of the main things that business has got to do. They've got to embrace that service offering. I'll mirror what Tony's saying about services. Yeah, definitely if operators need to maximise the services to to run a more profitable business. Uh, and it's all about promoting these services, whether it be in-store uh, but also online, a lot more of my operators' uh, clients are using social media to promote their services. And the feedback I receive from them, it's, it, they all say that it worked very well, um, whether it be on Facebook or Instagram. That's how they are promoting their services. And I think, again, just to just to echo the sentiment from both Carl and Tony, is looking at as they're, they're looking to have the ability to offer more services. Obviously, there's a cost involved in installing the consultation rooms, whether it's an extension or whether it's a redeployment of this existing space within the site, as well as 
using automation in other areas and using software to make the overall day-to-day operation more efficient, freeing up the staff to, to undertake those services with the community. So again, the, the suggestion would be to, to look to build a 12-month revolving kind of CapEx plan, but link that in with where those funds are going to be spent, you know, what benefits that's going to bring to the business, whether those benefits are immediate or are going to be seen over the coming years, and then ultimately making the decision whether that's something that they can self-fund from business cash flow or whether they look for external funding. It probably depends on what the return is and how quickly that return is likely to be seen. I suppose the quicker returns, the more willing people may be to use their own capital, where if it's a longer return by, by using finance to spread that cost, it enables the equipment and, and some of the other areas to, to almost self-fund. Thank you very much. And I'd like to bring that to a close. Um, so basically, I've enjoyed having the conversation again, guys. And once again, I have ended up learning quite a lot. Once I stop being the lazy pharmacist and I decide to buy a pharmacy, I'm sure I'm going to be coming to one of you guys for more information. Um, so what I might take from this is basically independence pharmacists are on the up. They do really well. If innovation and automation is something that all pharmacists need to start looking at and the way forward now is services, services and more services. We need to start moving away from the green script and looking at doing more services. Definitely the case. I think if you look at the sector, it absolutely is being challenged every day at the moment. And you know, the funding is at a crisis point, so something has to happen with that. But So from an operational point of view, there's a lot that pharmacists need to do. From a market point of view, there is still an appetite there. Uh, and I think that's the thing. There's two sides to the market. One is operational. One is the actual brokerage of the market. And generally, we're seeing you know, really positive signs on that side of things that people still see yeah, there is a long-term confidence that you know, pharmacists will, will be here for the future, basically. And uh, long may that continue. So thank you very much. Thank you guys for joining us again. Uh, thanks, Tony. Um, thanks, Sean. And thanks, Carl. Thank you guys for joining us and for listening to another um, Christian Co. and C&D Market Review. And we hope to see you again next year. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm.